Perfect. So, mm-hmm. make sure my microphone is in the correct position. Uh, what is the correct position for microphone? Because my microphone moves a lot, so, well, not by itself. I move my microphone a lot just because so that it's not in the way. And every time it's in a slightly different position, does it affect the sound? I don't know. Nobody has not. complained. I, I mean, yeah. I when editing, I, I put like a, I do like normalization, make sure the levels are correct. Make sure like not one of our voices is much louder than the other one, just to make sure. Um, okay. And okay. like, but like for my microphone, you have yours on an arm that can move. Mine is just yes. on the stand, um, which is probably not uh-huh. a great idea, given that I, I still like, I switched to just typing on my keyboard for show notes. Um. But wait, didn't you have an arm? I a did. A boom arm? For, because, like, I remember seeing it on the photos you shared. Before I had this microphone, I had another, like, um, it was it was an old microphone that I just had for some reason, and I had a, an arm for it, but, and it would work with this, but um, mm-hmm. I, I just, the arm was kind of in the way, and so, because the stand kind of works, and the stand isn't really a pop filter like it does not pop filter it, it's not really a shock absorber but it kind of is like it's it's better than nothing so um that's just what i do anyway and also like because i've got you know not a big room not a big desk i like i make a lot of things kind of modular ish so when i'm not using the microphone it's pushed back to the back of my desk and my headphones are there too mm-hmm. so they're not in the way and so every single time i prepare for a podcast i am um, you know, put the you microphone right behind the keyboard so I can still type on the keyboard without reaching over the microphone and the microphone like right here. Um, it, oh, OK. I didn't realize that. Um, but that does make sense. Yeah, it does make sense because like, uh, yeah, my microphone is to the side. Yeah. And so not the arm, but I move it back and like, you know, I do move it away out of the way and then I basically rotates. So... Yeah. So, dear and listeners, then, if I sound slightly different every time, you now know the reason. I hope it doesn't bug you too much. I try to fix it a little bit in the editing. Like, for my editing, I don't put my microphone right in front of me, obviously. Uh, because, like, in the beginning episodes when I did that, you could hear me breathing. Uh, and you can still hear me breathing. Um, and it might just be me being really nitpicky about how my own voice sounds. Um, but when I'm editing, well, I put a I put a noise gate on my channel to get rid of the breathing sounds and the keyboard sound um and, and the neighbor sounds yeah yeah i also like <laughs> yeah if, i if think those a loud are the loudest. enough noise i'll write it down in the edit and just clip it out but um mm-hmm. but yeah uh luckily yesterday and today there's no one else my my next door roommate isn't here i don't mm-hmm. So, oh yeah, and actually, good thing that you've mentioned yesterday because this is uh, we're recording not oh, yeah. during our usual time. Oh, yeah. So a bit of a programming notice. So. Oh we yeah, we do need to. This. We do need to mention that, don't we? We're not going to have an episode. Yeah, before for a few we weeks. forget, before we go on and down the whatever ramble. Uh, yeah. Monologue we have. So, um, we're recording this in April. On Easter. Uh, to April be precise, 17th. yes. Uh, Yes, April 17th. And the reason why we're doing it in advance is going to be another time capsule episode. Because next weekend, uh, Skylar is not available. And then two weekends after that, I'm not available. So we are trying to reduce... Well, not trying, but we will reduce the three uh, weeks uh, three weeks break down to two weeks break. So you will hear this on 23rd of April. Because that's when we're going to schedule it for, to be published. And then for the, you, there won't be any dragons in your ears for two weeks because we're busy. And then we'll come back in May. So there is that. And we are just busy dragons, you know? Yeah. Next Life. next episode will be May 14th. Um, yeah. The, the one after this. Yes. It would be May 14th. And then because <sighs> and, and it'll be interesting because. Next week, this this upcoming week, so today's Sunday, this upcoming week is my last week of classes, and the week after that I've got final exams, right? Um, mm-hmm. By the 14th, I will have been out of school for two weeks, and so, mm-hmm. like, we'll definitely have something to talk about, uh, which will be good. Oh, plenty, plenty of catch-up. Yes, slight slight break. Um, mm-hmm. If, I don't know, if you want more podcasts to listen to, um, I've, I, I can recommend a few. 
Um, but but anyway. I don't think any of our listeners have the problems of like not enough podcasts. I think a majority of them have the opposite problem of like yeah, yeah. so many podcasts, not enough time. The fact that the the issue that I have, which is like in my Overcast, and Overcast obviously is the best, the best podcast app because we're not sponsored by uh, any other podcast apps, just Overcast. I mean, we're not sponsored by Overcast either, but we are not sponsored by anyone. And please note that this is the opinion of only one of the hosts. Okay, well, in my opinion. <laughs> Uh, Overcast is the best podcast app. I am subscribed to more um, podcasts than I think you could physically listen to in like in the time that they come out. Um, I mm-hmm. think maybe maybe a little bit less than that, but like the actual number of podcasts I'm subscribed to that show up in my all episodes feed um, is more than I could physically listen to in a week. So I have a I have a smart playlist in Overcast called Priority Shows, um, which which basically all the shows that I'm subscribed to that I also actually really want to listen to. Um, and I get through all of those in, in a timely manner. Um, and then whenever those are depleted, I just do whatever random stuff is in my subscriptions. Uh, and sometimes they're the most random podcasts that I'm subscribed to. Like, um, things I never thought I would be subscribed to, which that one that I don't even remember that Kim, you sent me a link to because I talked about dragons. What was it? Words to that effect, wasn't it? Yes, worse to that effect, exactly. It's a more literary podcast. I, I don't I listen to it all that much, but it's just a random thing that I'm subscribed to. So it's like, I am subscribed mm-hmm. to way too many podcasts, but it's fine. Uh, well, I mean, if it's fine, then it's fine. It would bug me and I would be doing the spring cleaning, uh, but, you know, it works for you. So, uh, anyways... There is a tiny bit of follow up because uh, last episode we've uh, we've touched about um, we talked about music a little bit and our resident uh, fancy music person Ryan has sent the feedback. So first of all, thanks thanks a lot, and secondly, he asked a question of like, what did opera do to me so that I don't like it? And I actually have an answer. Majority of opera gives me a headache. I think it's because of the frequency of the of the mezzo soprano voices, because that's one of the, you know, common uh, timbre of the voice of like you know fe- like you know female opera singers. There there are different names for them. Like the mezzo soprano is is the highest, and that's the one that like guaranteed gives me a headache. You, like I've been to, um, I've attended several opera uh, plays. And seriously, by the middle, by the time of the intermission, I am not a happy dragon at all. And generally, uh, so that's the biggest reason why I don't like opera. And secondly, it's just kind of not my type of music. That's fair. Like, um, yeah, I, like, I mean, I, th- I, th- I think like that's the second reason. It's just like, I mean, if I want to listen to music in Italian, I'd listen to something uh, newer, like made in 20th or 21st century yeah and that's a, that's the thing again like you know the reason i've mentioned italian because i most i'm mostly familiar with italian opera uh, of course there are there is, there is french there whenever is, i think uh, italian i just think federico vitici but it's fine uh, really yeah for some reason vitici is just my token italian in my head um well maybe like the only italian you know <laughs> the only definitely the only italian i listen to on a podcast um, uh, sure thing. Yes, that that would be the same for no. Whenever I think like Italian, uh, well, first thing is like Rome, second food, and then the third is like older music. Because seriously, Italian yeah. pop music is glorious, and yeah. it's been like that all the time. Like, um, okay, it's really old music, and I think it's pretty campy. But I absolutely enjoyed it when I was a kid, like Ricky e Poveri, and that was like really fun. Then Adriano Celentano's music. Is quite enjoyable if you're like it's it's a very disco genre I think I'm not sure I haven't listened to him uh, to his music in ages but that's kind of like something from the childhood and recently I've been uh, listening to Monoskin a lot and Monoskin and then there is another band um, from Italy whose name is escaping no not the band one specific singer uh like whose name is escaping me but basically yeah i've been listening to it a lot of it like 
Okay, not a lot, but quite considerable amount of Italian pop music recently. So there is that. If you haven't and uh, if you haven't tried Monoskin, give it a go. It's just so good. It's like really, really good Italian pop rock. Like of just it sounds fun, you know? Yeah. A, a very nice summery music. I mean, we've had this conversation before. I don't listen to a ton of music, but also like... Yeah, well, uh, but, you know, maybe our listeners are interested. But yeah, again, sure. like, f- f- in my uh, part of the world, you'd need to live really under the rock to not hear Monoskin. Yeah, They're yeah. quite big and popular. Um, but again, yeah, the informational bubbles can be different. Also, for me, with like opera, like, I've never been to an opera. Like I don't even know if that's the right way to say it, but I've never I've never been to an opera or what like whatever mm-hmm. so, sort of thing it would be. Um I've never I don't even think had the opportunity to do that if I wanted to. Uh, it's just not as big of a thing in the US, I think. It's I mean maybe, maybe it is, like but it's like it's a little bit like more underground. Uh, big cities. Yeah. Um so like and also like I agree with you in the sense that it's just if I were to listen to music, that's not the kind of music I would listen to. Um, but well, in your case, in your case, I would say don't knock it off before you try it, because like I at least tried listening to it, like and you know, uh, La Bohème, um, Traviata. What else did I tr- suffer actually, through? Um, Traviata, like seriously, actually, like, some, I, so, it's, it's... something just occurred to me. There was a mm-hmm. a production put on by my school last semester my, my university yeah um, and i was taking a theater class i so i've been to an opera i've been to one opera and it was last semester and it was put on by a university um what production was it it was called dido like, and aeneas um, um okay it was it was so it's like i having never been to an opera before it was it was very weird um the voices were like some of the higher voices felt very high Okay. So. Dido and Aeneas. Oh, it's a uh, Henry Purcell. Yeah. Yeah. It's an English Baroque composer. So it's like there's something you see. Like my uh, awareness of opera is mostly like around Rossi and Puccini. Like, okay, not Rossi, but around Puccini, for example. And um, uh, see, I've got no reference for this. This is just what like the the one yeah. opera I've been to. Um, what the what saved it though is it was a you know it's a cheesy storyline not cheesy but it's a like a pretty basic storyline it's a bunch of people singing uh what saved it was that they had (laughs) subtitles they had live subtitles um oh yeah that is um relative well i wouldn't say relatively common there that it happens actually thing is with opera in order to because like I'd have had no idea Most what they were saying it, with, without the subtitles. Precisely. Even if it's in the language you like, hypothetically yeah. understand, the, the style of singing makes it quite, um, you know, not everything is intelligible. Like, not everything is, like, understandable. And knowing the libretto uh, really, really helps. And libretto is, like, basically the, the storyline of the opera, of, like, what's going on. And uh, that helps... Because if you don't know what's going on, it's it can be confusing. So because, for example, when I went to, oh, this, the story with La Bohème is, is quite funny. How I went there is uh, we were supposed we were expecting to come, uh, you know, to see the ballet like Giselle, and it was in Almaty in the university days, and and we were like we arrive and we you know get fine like we have these tickets and the thing that's the crucial detail like at the time of the of this story uh, of this event the tickets to the Almaty Opera and Ballet Theater they were like very basic they just gave you the ticket yep. that had a date and a time on it it didn't have the name of the play or production you're seeing because it was just a template of the ticket so we had it like saturday 7 like 1900 we were like okay and we thought it's going to be giselle we arrived there and no giselle was on friday and today is la bohème and i'm like mm. i have no idea of the plot i have no idea who all these singers are I've like I have no literally nothing. We're like sitting there, <laughs> I'm like, mm, 
with my friend and we're like all right well hopefully it is then <laughs> and then in during the intermission we were able to get the the libretto the program and like quickly read through it and the the plot is also quite cheesy but that's i think applies to any opera or operetta um so yeah that that's a story I think yep. in that specific season, I didn't manage to get to Giselle again because Giselle is one of my favorite ballets. I do like uh, watching it and I've seen it at least four times by four different uh, troops. So um, ballet is certainly a high art that I do enjoy. Mm. And the funniest thing with ballet is that you actually... You, in my opinion, you're better off if you take the seats that are a bit further away and ideally from the balcony. You can see more. Because if you're... No, it's not because you can see more. It's because you don't hear the tapping of oh, the shoes. yes. Yeah. So, like... <laughs> Those are pretty loud. Watching, That's, like, one thing... That reminds me of, like, watching yeah. musical theater, right? Um, mm-hmm. In... I need to stop playing with my AirPods case. It's fine. Um, it's like watching musical theater um, because... Mm-hmm there's sort of it depends on exactly what the circumstances because in my case um watching theater productions put on by my high school back when i was in high school uh secondary school um whatever uh but it was sort of like i was never usually in the productions there was one time i was like in the crew doing stuff backstage but most of the time it was like i would try to because i would get a chance to watch it multiple times because i was just there um for, for reasons so like i would try to watch it from the back but most of the time I would go as close to the front as possible only because mm-hmm. I thought it was funny. Uh, because if you're in the front row, the actors can see your face and the actors knew who I was. Um, uh-huh. So if there was any chance any of them were going to break, it was going to be by looking at me. Um, and it never happened because they were all great actors. Um, but it, it's that sort of, it's like watching musical theater. Um, and you also you do hear sort of some stuff when you're closer to the stage. You can see a little bit more backstage. It, it depends on the production. Uh, but in mm-hmm. musical theater, in general, you actually want to be a little bit farther back. Not too far back, but, like, not front row. Because you kind of mm-hmm. want to be able to see the entire stage in your direct vision and not have to look around. Um, so... Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the same with ballet because, like, if you're too close, you just like sometimes the you know the sound of the shoes can be quite distracting, especially if you don't expect it. Yeah. So uh, that's that's the thing. That's one of the situations where um, sitting further is uh, actually better. Yeah. Uh, anyways, how did we get here? Um, opera. Yes, yes. Right. Yes. Um, so, absolutely. Because in my like, I think I think I think like because um, I grew like in Almaty, the theater of opera and ballet is like it's 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 one building, it's one institute, like one institution, so to say. So that's why in my head, opera and ballet are like connected all the time. So I'm not sure if that's the same here in Budapest, for example, because here there is an opera house. I haven't been there. And I, I also haven't you. been to, ba- uh, and I haven't been to ballet here either, uh, just because like, I don't know why to be honest, and so I wouldn't know if if ballet is uh, if ballet p- productions are held in the opera house or not. But like for example in Almaty, they're always in the same uh, place, so that's why they're kind of like linked in my head. So that's how we got to ballet, got it. Fair. So. Anyways, that was follow-up. What's our main topic today? So, um, I think this came up in a, in a Discord somewhere, somewhere where um, someone brought up using blind carbon copy when doing emails. And and mm-hmm. you wrote it down on our topic list. But I, I was thinking, oh, this would be funny uh, because we are inspired, inspired by, I don't know, we both listen to Cortex and we've made multiple um, references to Cortex in the past. And it's sort of a thing. I don't know. I might be wrong. It's like a sort of a thing on Cortex to just like complain about email. Um, right. So we're going to talk about email today. We're going to specifically talk about like what was written down in in the topic list was how different people use BCC on emails. Mm-hmm. But also mm-hmm. just like yeah. email in general. And the way I actually think about email has changed a little bit in the last semester because I started a job as an undergraduate researcher. 
which means two yeah. things. I get a ton more emails now, and I actually have to pay attention to them. Um, which is, you know, like I paid attention to my email before, um, but at the beginning of the semester, because iPhones have a thing now, and I think it came out with iOS 15, where you can have notification summaries. Um, mm-hmm. It came out along with like focus modes and stuff. But it was, um, so what I did at the beginning of the semester was I moved it so that I don't get notifications for emails uh, directly, like immediately. I get like the email dump from my Gmail, which oh, like, I, I use Gmail, uh, three times a day during the summaries, right? And so it's, it's a gentle okay. reminder three times a day to check my email. And that, um, it significantly lowered the number of times my watch was buzzing. Uh, because before that, mm-hmm. and and I didn't get a ton of emails before. Like, I got random spam stuff from my university, which makes me angry because universities shouldn't be doing that, but it's fine. Um, but, and, and it would go straight to my watch, and I'd be able to look at it and tell if it's something I care about. And if I didn't, I could scroll down and immediately hit archive, and it would disappear from my Gmail inbox. Um, but I was getting too many emails for that. So I decided mm-hmm. notification summary, and then when I remember, I just go through my oh. email, archive all the things I don't need, star some of the things I do need. Um, I don't use stars as much. I just remember to be like, okay, this is from this is not spam, and it's immediately obvious that it's not spam, so it's not difficult to like organize. Um, and so I know like this is the stuff I need to respond to. This stuff doesn't matter, and then if it's anything that needs to be immediately actioned on. Like, first, people know if there's something that needs to be, like, actioned on whatever, um, don't email me. People know, like, the people I work with, like, have me on WhatsApp, um, so they can just text me. Um, but if it's an email that I need to do something with, um, as soon as I see it, then I will just do that. Uh, but that's how I deal with email, and I am in academia. Um, I hear yeah, it's different that's... from people in professional circles. Oh, it is. It is. Like, first of all, um, I don't have notifications on my personal phone or like, because I sure. have only personal phone. Sure. I have uh, I have the application that um, allows me, gives me access to my uh, work email. But that thing doesn't have any notifications allowed because like, seriously, if I had any kind of notifications uh, for if I had notifications for individual email, my phone would be buzzing all the time. If I had the summaries, those summaries would be pretty useless because it would just, I think it would have enough sp- for, uh, enough space to say like, oh, you have like 37 emails or something like that. Oh. And thirdly, I don't need reminder to open my email, check my email during the workday because when I'm working from during my like contractually obligated hours, I have Outlook open all the time. And that's the thing, because um, I always kind of like laugh uh, when I hear uh, like internally chuckle, to be honest, like if I'm being very precise, when I hear this advice, all this, oh, make sure to limit your email time to like maybe like one, like some specific time in the day, like, for example, 40 minutes in the morning or like, I don't know, one hour in the evening. Like, seriously, sometimes depending on the mood, like it can get like a hysterical chuckle from me because... In at least my type of job, a corporate office worker, middle level manager, email is the job, you know? There yeah. was like a few years ago, there was a time when our internal email servers were down for a day. It was a big problem, it was a super big deal without going into the specifics, but basically, email didn't work for us. And my like, we were like all sitting there, well, no work is happening. Let's go have a go have coffee. And effectively, the rest of the day was just very, very chill. We were sitting in the kitchen chatting because, like, like everything you could do without email, you've done. And then, uh, so, like, and just generally, if email doesn't ha- work, it's like work is not happening. And uh, I, I, if I think if I had my Outlook closed during the day, like most of the time, according to all these, like productivity advisors like you know Carl Newport being one of them um uh, he is like I think a very big opponent of email 
I would be in trouble very, very quickly, you know. <laughs> yeah, <makes sense. laughs> because uh, in, 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 in a corporate organization that is work operates across borders, across multiple countries, and you have people you work with spread out, uh, make uh, spread out physically, we're not all in the same office. Email is the tool to, you know, to communicate. And of course, for smaller organizations, there are all these Slack, Microsoft Teams, and so on and so forth. But um, in my company, the common denominator is email. And as a result, I get a lot of it. I get a ton of it all the time. And majority of it is something that is quick you know something that I can reply quickly or um, I don't need to do anything at all because I've been copied on it just for my awareness and yeah yeah that's that's the thing so for example it's pretty normal for me to come to work on Monday morning open email and see around 60 or 80 unread new emails because I work with people whose work week starts on Sunday so they are working on Sunday they're busy and I'm part of their uh, work process or like you know they need to get in touch with me or like there is something they need to send me or not me personally our team and so uh, people from those countries send emails and as a result there is there is never a Monday morning when I come when I open my inbox and it is in the state I've left it on Friday night you know yeah. So, that makes sense. It's uh, yeah, just because Middle East, North Africa, and Israel they start working on Sunday, and then but for them it's the same on on Sunday they come to office and then there is all the stuff I emailed them on Friday, Friday you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's a weird so cultural thing. I didn't, I didn't realize that was a difference. That um, I mean, I think that's one of the things you don't realize. But like, I don't know. I didn't realize there were well, some countries that started work on Sunday, but that. I mean, it makes sense. Well, uh, it would be yeah, weirder if uh, all countries had the exact same work week, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's uh, all religion driven because the yeah. whole reason why, um, like, Europe doesn't, like, everything is closed in Europe on Sunday because it's a church day. The same is uh, for yeah. uh, Middle East countries. For them, Friday is like when the weekend starts. And for Israel, it's also like. Um, Okay, I'm less familiar with that one, but I think again, our like somebody can correct me and or I can educate myself actually then by going to Wikipedia and double checking. But off the top of my head, I think Shabbat starts on the sunset of Friday, and then sense. lasts till the sunset of Saturday, and that's when you're not allowed to work. And if you're Jewish, if you're like religious Jewish, and that's why you don't work. Like I mean. Basically, Friday and Saturday are the weekend in that in that part of the world, and yeah, makes it's a it's quite a chunk of a considerable amount of uh, countries. And what makes it a little bit confusing is that you know, for not all the countries where the predominant religion is is Islam follow this uh, pattern because for example Pakistan where Islam is also pretty uh, you know is the major the main religion it's not it's not official like it's not like you know they're um, the religious body and the government are separate but still that's the predominant religion over there they work on Fridays they work on Fridays and for example uh, last time yeah yeah so uh, despite the fact that uh, I think like majority of the population they if if they're religious then they would be Muslims. So that does confuse it a little bit. And also I did read somewhere and the only thing is like I need to double check actually with somebody who lives in Dubai. I've read that United Arab Emirates are changing their work week as well. Like they're they want to align with the rest of like with the their main business partners and they're making Friday workday and Sunday weekend. However, I'm not sure how uh, sticky this change is because you still have a majority of population who need to go on to the mosque on Friday. And yeah. even if you say it's a work day, they will just like say, well, good for you. I'm still going to the mosque. And because they that's the, the that's their set of priorities. Yeah. So I need to verify that. So, you know, if uh, I'll 
I'll get back it, with more field research on that. It's definitely a globalization sort of sort of thing. For some reason, this reminds me of a weird factoid I know, right? Where Samoa, um, which used to be right on the east side of, could have this wrong, but I'm pretty sure, um, some sort of islands in the Pacific, and I think it was Samoa, um, used to be on the east side of the Dateline, um, mm-hmm. and was the last one of like part of the last time zone to celebrate New Year's. Mm-hmm. Officially changed their time zone, uh, like skipped a day. And put themselves oh, yeah. on the west side of the dateline. Um, mm-hmm. And basically put a, a weird cutout in the dateline, if you look at the map. Um, to be like, Oh, right. Yes, because, yes. Because there is then, this like, one wiggle. Because what it does is because they used to be an entire day behind Australia. And now by mm-hmm. doing that, they're a couple hours ahead of Australia. They're just a few time zones ahead. And it makes that sort of, because Australia is their biggest trading partner. Um, and Makes sense. I could be completely talking out of not going to curse on the podcast. Um, but I, I like, I, this is just something I've heard, but for some reason that reminds mm-hmm. me of that, but that like the, the UAE changing their, um, their, uh, work days just sounds like a globalization sort of thing. Like in the same way, just be like, we're doing this to make it easier to do work with other countries. Um, which I mean, if it boosts productivity, it makes sense to do. Well, I mean, if they change it, they change it because, uh, like, it's it's all um, in the end, it's all arbitrary. Because, for example, talking about the changing time zones, that's what Kazakhstan did when uh, when we stopped uh, switching from winter, like from winter to summertime. Yeah, we also at the same time uh, reduced the time zones. In the past, there used to be three time zones in the in Kazakhstan, and now it's just two. UTC plus six and UTC plus five. In the in the past, it was also UTC plus three, three I think. And it was like a, just a tiny chunk of um, the country all the way to the west. And it was all um, synchronized. And, you know, life goes on. Everything's fine. Yeah. And also, like, we've stopped changing this whole summertime daylight savings uh in 2000 and oh gosh before 2009 and yeah it's been so good it it, it, I, it bears I, worth saying um and this i i'm verging a little bit into modern politics but i i will hit it quickly and move on um there is there was something going around the united states legislature or something um to 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 get rid of daylight savings time to get rid of basically uh-huh. time changes, um, and yeah. and I'm like a thousand percent for it because I I don't care. Okay, people, there are arguments to be made. I know, but there is no defensible reason that we should change the clocks twice a year. That's all I'm gonna say. If 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 this entire thing gets messed up, right? This is one good thing that Congress could do. Congress has not done anything good like this in so long. Well, okay, that's debatable but congress is very slow right i'm just gonna yes like, that i this, think that's nobody's this, going to argue with you on if that this, if this like this could be one good thing that would help everyone in the country a little bit right it's not universal health care but universal health care is an entirely different topic like working on this is not distracting from the bigger problem this is a small thing that congress could do that would help us just that would just help right um and there are arguments to be made and there's always it's it's always more complicated than this i know but don't mess this up right because this is just (laughs) just just please i just want the clock to stop changing i want to stop being confused whether or not i'm at utc minus six or minus five okay just i'm gonna hit that and move on times like daylight savings time annoys me Oh yeah, absolutely. I do relate a lot. Um but it's um as everything where humans are involved, it's very messy because uh, Europe European Union has been having conversation about uh, stopping the daylight savings time also for multiple years, but the problem is that you know, every country has very valid and legitimate reasons on like which then on which uh, time to like 
settle like is it winter time or summertime and it's uh, as a result nobody can agree and you know as and so we're still switching time because then this way at least for half a year somebody's happy and then the other half of the is happy the other time yeah moving on from uh time zones and going back to email uh, the reason actually I put this uh, topic into our topic list is because I've spotted that somebody, and I think it was you who mentioned that um, using BCC in the academic email correspondence is like a big deal. And that caught my attention and I also got curious because yeah, okay. yeah. I think uh, from my point of view, the way I use my work email and I work in corporate world for years... BCC is mostly used for um, preventing reply all storms, you know? Yeah. When you need to send out a, communi- a, a message that needs to go to like a lot of people, hundreds or thousands, and there is a distribution list for it or like mailing list, however you call it, you put it in BCC because if you don't, then there would be someone numpty who would click reply all and say something ridiculous like oh thank you for letting me know and and then it would be then somebody else would snark at that person also clicking reply all oh do you realize that you're replying to like thousands of people or like you know entire company and then and then this then it's just like it's a chain reaction then because the other people will start oh take me off this email chain not realizing they actually contribute to the problem and seriously it happens with the horrible reliability at least once a year and when it happens, it's um, A, annoying, B, time-consuming because you need to delete all that email spam. Yep. And C, is just frustrating because you're you're like, people, are you using the email for the first time in your life? But that's a more of a rhetoric question. So to prevent these kind of things happening, majority of people who pay attention to what they're doing when they're sending uh, communications to large groups of people... They put the recipe, you know, they put the recipients, the distribution list into blind carbon copy because this way, even if you know, the, if the recipient, one of the recipients, clicks reply all, it will only go to you, and that's how you're saving everybody from this unnecessary aggravation. And basically, that would be it because yeah. if you want to let somebody inform somebody else about an email conversation without alerting the main recipient, uh, it's actually very, it's mostly easier to then forward the entire email thread. And there are sometimes the reasons why you need to do it, especially if it's like boils down to some conflict resolution or escalation uh, when it's like, you know, when you're trying to solve a problem and the other person is not being cooperative and you need to escalate this to their manager, your manager and so on and so forth. Uh, so for those instances, again, in my organization, it's typically email forwarding or like, you know, attaching the entire email thread to a separate email. Yeah. Because this way it's, um, I would say it's a bit safer not to mess it up. Yeah. So that's the BCC, the way I use it and the way majority of people I work with use it. How do you do it? So um, first of all, when you're talking about reply all, um, so I haven't been in academia very long, so take everything I say with a grain of salt. Um, but mm-hmm. what I've seen is a lot of times, first of all, when you're when you're starting an email chain, you're wanting to talk about something. It's some some sort of conversation or conflict resolution, something like that is being had. In those cases, it is worth it to have you know. In, in that cases, you want responses to be reply all because you want everyone in the conversation to be part of it, um, to to see what is going on, um, and that's. I, I've been a part of a couple of those um, because because like as as an undergraduate researcher like I have the graduates above me like figuring something out and I'm seeing it because I need to know what to what to do next what to research what to work on um, and so the replies also bounce back to me so that I can see it and so that I can know all that um, I for blind copy is the sort of um so so whenever you're like the two and cc are both used very often to be like whoever yeah of course. whoever the email is specifically being 
addressed to is in the two field. Everyone else is in carbon copy. Um, that makes sense. Um, Absolutely. I've seen that some people that break that form and put everyone in the two field, but the, mm-hmm. the email is addressed to one specific person. That's a little annoying. Mm-hmm. Also, most of my emails aren't even like actual correspondence. They're just invitations to meetings. Um, like That's not email. But it comes through my email. It comes through email, but it's not, not email because, like, that's a calendar invite. Yes, that's. Uh, I I do not like. I mean, it it's not a me- it's not an email message. Yeah. But anyways. But but any like actual, that sort of stuff, blind carbon copy. I could be seeing this wrong, but it's not often used, and so I think the one. I've never okay. I've never been part of an email where I was BCC'd in. I've heard stories. Um, and it's basically like when you're BCC'd <laughs> into an email, it's this sort of thing like it's usually some sort of conflict. Um, it's something mm-hmm. like this is going on. There's some sort of disagreement or conflict going on. You need to be able to see this. But we don't want anyone to know that you've seen this. And it's well, sort of that's... shady and, and that sort of stuff. But it, it's it's a sort of conflict resolution to be like, Here's the usually BCC is when you are BC when you are giving this thread to some sort of someone above you to see it yeah, and to be but, aware of what's going on, but to not directly pull them into the conversation. Okay, yeah, fair enough. So uh, that's what I would say. That's what uh, I use email forwarding for. So it's like you know, you there is this email thread, and then you forward yeah. it with the commentaries, like you know. Like this is happening, it's it's a mess. You need to intervene, or like you know, just be aware if like basically that kind of stuff. Because the problem with BCC, there is like one hidden like hidden uh, underwater stone, one underwater reef, or like whatever. Like basically, one potential problem is that at least in cor- in in corporation correspondence is that if you're dragging somebody into the conflict resolution, that somebody is typically like a, you know, a higher up manager. In my experience, those people are not always very 100% attentive to their email because they get even more email than the people like one level in the hierarchy below them just because, because this corporation, everything's happening via email. So... They may not realize that they're in BCC and reply to it as if to the normal email, and as a result, completely, like, um, the whole point of putting them in blind carbon copy would be defeated because the other recipients would be, what the hell, why does this person suddenly intervene where they're coming from? So it's easier to forward it because then at least when you forward it, it is much more clear. Uh, uh, it's it's clear uh, the way like Outlook by default like manages it, and as like you've mentioned that it's shady, I would slightly disagree that it isn't. It's just like sometimes you want to um, kind of like inform people. Yeah, but not like de-escalate it like a little bit or like as as everything like it's complicated. So, yeah. uh, but for these for this specific use case is like as I've said as I've as I've mentioned earlier, forwarding is a bit easier. Um, but and this seems to be like the main difference. I would Im- I would imagine, you know, like again, wild guess is that in academia the email traffic is a bit lower, but I know that's not correct because I've been talking to some of the uh, professors uh, in the university and like, I've, I mean they've been complaining about email and it is also it can get pretty bad because professors, like, you have all students there's a, all students emailing you yeah there is a wild disconnect between professors and um, graduate researchers because like the the graduate researcher I work under like most most of them have pretty open email like if you send them a message they'll get back to you within a day and that's pretty normal like actually like mostly faster than that because most people um, get email notifications immediately. Like, professors get emails constantly from all of their students and all of the researchers working under them and also all of their colleagues. Um, and yep. so they, like, they are swamped. 
And so exactly, when, you, and when you're scheduling like a meeting or something with a professor, um, not even as a student, but as a researcher, um, you you email them at least two days in advance. And, and, and <laughs> two days. And oh, my word. That, and, and that's only if they know you and know to like uh-huh. and, and will recognize your email um, mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. So it's mm-hmm. yeah, there are there are some people in my organization with whom you need to schedule meetings like a month in advance. That is um that's a lot. Uh but time. yeah, that's that's uh that's basically their availability. But it got, it becomes even more fun when you need to have like some big meeting where a big decision needs to be made and there are several big weeks to participate yeah. and you can't not have this decision without all of them. That's when what I call calendar Tetris begins. Because majority of those big weeks they don't manage their calendars themselves. So you need to get hold of each of their executive assistants, get the availability from each of them, and then figure out when you have time yourself. And then most likely there are like also some other participants. Like, and then what happened? That's why sometimes the you know big organizations are slow. Some because getting a number a specific number of people on the same phone line can't happen earlier than like in two months time or it can happen uh but only like for a span of 15 minutes and it is in some weird time zone uh, or like in some weird time and somebody else in a different time zone and you're like oh dear lord and as a result you end up being on very good friendly terms with a lot of executive assistants those people are your friends and like especially like you know, you you need to be friends with them so that they're like nice to you and helpful. That's just like you know, that's common sense. But sense. Uh, yeah. you know, that's that's why I was kind of like laughing when you said two days in advance. Two days in advance is like light speed <laughs> from my point of view. Yeah, uh, most professors. <laughs> that's like do short respond. notice. Most professors do respond to their own emails, um, and it's not. They're probably less swamped compared to like executives in um, in company. From the perspective of academia, professors are the people who have to deal with the most email. Well, besides like university administration, but we don't talk about that. Um, professors Why? do have a lot to deal with, but it's um, Skylar. What? Why don't we talk about university administration? I, I didn't. Okay, that, that came off wrong. It's just kind of like it's just <laughs> yeah. It's not something we never think about the administration at the university because most of the time, like when you're doing research, from the perspective of a researcher, the your chain of command basically ends at whatever whatever you know whatever professor you're working under it usually doesn't nothing usually escalates past that um unless it's a specific university issue it does not usually get to administration um like oh, I see. your chain of command so it's ends like... at whatever professor or whoever you're working under um gotcha so like, it's basically, you just don't have the reason to interact with administration directly. As a researcher, as a student. As a researcher, um, yeah. As, as a student, because admi- administration at universities mostly deals with students. Um, and, mm-hmm. and, and they deal with, they deal with like research funding, that sort of stuff. But like the correspondence between professors and administration has nothing to do with what I'm working on. Or what? What graduate or undergraduate researchers ever like? Again, I could be wrong because I haven't been doing this a long time. But that's what I see. Um, mm-hmm. As a student, you you think about administration a little bit more because they do what they say because they work more with like how the like classes and all that. Like we they just we just hired a new university. Provost. So it's it's more it's it's more specifically what to what the students are doing. But mm-hmm. that's why we don't talk about administration. Not a shady thing. I it's see. just, yeah. Um, <laughs> it's just like it's 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 like in the yes for you as a, in your undergraduate research position, they're like simply like not relevant. Yeah, gotcha. the, the chain of command ends at the professor I work on. Uh, I see. But yeah. Okay. Uh, and it, well, when you said because um, like when you when you email forward something to someone to make them aware of it. Um, uh huh. 
that sort of I think in the circles I'm in, BC seeing someone into an email, they usually like if they notice it, which they usually do, that sort of message that you would send when forwarding, like be aware of this, that is implicit in the fact that they're being BCC'd in because BCC is not used yeah. for like anything else. I, yeah, and that's the reason. So it's like, you know, I think that basically that is a very simple difference that we have just uh, figured out. Because in uh, like the way I see it, used BCC is literally for the mass messages, mass emails to prevent uh, reply all uh, storms. And and yeah. that's it. When you yeah. need the conflict resolution escalation, you either like openly copy somebody when you want to the recipient to be aware that look, your manager is being involved. You better respond, or like you better like start cooperating, or you forward it to if you don't want the others to be aware of that. And you know, it sometimes it's necessary. Sometimes the conflict can be get to a very ridiculous uh, stage where you're like looking at this whole conversation yeah. and wondering how exactly did we get here? And then you remind yourself like, oh, these are the people like, you know, you remember who exactly you're dealing with. And then, you know, that question becomes rhetorical. But then mass emails, like you've got to receive this kind of like, I don't know, company, well, university-wide communications, like, you know, like, for example, like we hired a new provost. You receive them via blind carbon copy as well, right? Um, no. Um, I think we receive them via because we get them in the two field. Um, but we get them like when I receive university correspondence in that sort of way. Um, mm -hmm. I I get them in the two field, but I'm the only one in the two field. It's it's some sort of automated system which sends a separate but identical email to but everyone that's, on the email list. But that's. Okay. Because any because... any correspondence from administration goes through that system because they've got thousands of students to email. They're not going to email people individually. If they've got like individual messages, like from I don't know, DOS, DOS students, um, or anything like that, like it'll go to it'll go straight to you because that's individual messages. There's not a lot of cases where you'll be emailing a large group of people, but it's not like mass correspondence. Um. If it's like, I don't know, something with a professor and a group of students, um, I don't know, that'll all be in, in, I don't know, I'm not sure. It's not something I've, I've really come across, but as, as for like when, when I, when we got, um, emails saying that there would be provost, um, interviews and presentations and all that, um, that was a, a mass, basically automated system that emailed every different student in the university with a separate but identical email um, because they were all just in the two field. 